0: This is Walter Edgar. On Monday, September the 2nd, 2019, we here at Walter Edgar's Journal lost a friend and South Carolina lost a beloved author. Dorothea Benton Frank, author of 20 best-selling novels set in the Lowcountry, passed away at the age of 67 after a brief illness. We'd like to share with you Dottie Frank's last visit with us that was broadcast August the 14th, 2015. With me on the telephone today is South Carolina author, Dorothea Benton Frank, and we're talking to her from her home in New Jersey. First of all, Dottie, welcome back to the journal.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I just finished my book tour last night. Well, I'm a tired woman, Walter.
0: <laughs> you're a very, you're the Energizer buddy. I didn't think they still had book tours like that.
1: I'm telling you, they got their money's worth out of me this year.
0: There's something we haven't done in a while, Dottie, and that is to talk a little bit about you, because when I opened the New York Times three weeks ago and saw that full-page ad for your latest book, All the Single Ladies, I wondered, did this young woman growing up on Sullivan's Island, going to Stella Maris Church and all of that, ever think that she would have a full-page ad in the book review section of the New York Times? Never in a
1: million years, not in a million trillion years.
0: Well let's talk about where you went to school, all of that stuff and how you met Peter.
1: Oh Lord. Well you know, I went to Catholic schools for eleven years. Actually twelve years. I actually in my senior year my stepfather died quite suddenly. And my father died, did you know when I was very young. I was four and a half. In front of me, thank you very much. And oh. um Oh yeah. And then I found my stepfather dead when I was seventeen. So, I mean, if that doesn't make you a writer, I don't know what will it's either make you a, a writer or, a, I don't know, an alcoholic maybe. But So then um, I had changed schools in my senior year because I was being bullied. I was a victim of bullies. Can you believe that? I was. And I just said, you know what? This is so stupid. I am not going to spend one more day surrounded by these people. And I withdrew from Bishop England High School on my own. And registered myself at Moultrie High School, which was you know, then Moultrie, now it's Wando. But back in the day, it was General William Moultrie High School. And my mother said, oh, well, I mean, cause she was, I don't know, she was in a state of mind that, you know, was not the healthiest, I think, in those days. I went to Moultrie High School and graduated from there.
0: I must say, I mean, I understand bullying, but given your personality, I'm surprised you just didn't smack them upside the head. I just unless I think
1: you... I took it personally. You know, I I took it personally. I was horrified by it.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I've
1: never, I never, I've never bullied anybody in my whole life that I remember. I, I don't think I have. You know, mean girls, though, man. High school girls can be very, very mean. I've moved on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, you have, but, you know. The Sullivan's Island world that, that you grew up in was eons removed from Sullivan's Island today.
1: You know, I think it's all in your head, isn't it? I mean, when I go back to Sullivan's Island, I'm still in my world on Sullivan's Island. I mean, granted, I'm in a better house, but, you know, to me, it's the same place. It's You know, I put on my stupid pull-on shorts and a T-shirt, go out and sit on the beach or walk the beach, and it's the same to me, okay. you know, except that people have dogs on leashes. And the dogs actually have pedigrees. You know, when I was growing up on Sullivan's Island, all the dogs looked exactly the same. (laughs) And no one had a collar or a leash on their dogs. I mean, and no one ever took a dog to a vet unless it got hit by a car. And and there weren't even that many cars on the island then. So that's true. The traffic is much greater. But I'm down at the far end of the island, so I don't get involved in all that.
0: Well, we've got you graduating from Moultrie High School. Yeah. And then where did you go?
1: Well, then I went to the Baptist College in Charleston for about a year, and again, my mother really did not want me to go to college. I mean, this is a crazy story, and it's going to make my whole family sound like a bunch of lunatics, but you know, this is how it was. I mean, she was the daughter who stayed home and took care of her parents as they aged, and she really wanted me to do the same thing. And we – I mean, this was an all-out war, as you can imagine. I mean, I'd already been through enough – you know, I mean, in fact, I remember the morning that my stepfather died. My mother was in the kitchen, taking plates down from the plate rail and dusting them. And she said, "You know, people are going to be coming to the house. It sounds like a Tennessee Williams play, doesn't it?" <laughs> She's they're going to be coming to the house. And then she said, "I can't believe this is happening to me again." And I looked at her and I said, "It's happening to me too." You know, but that never occurred to her. That never kind of sunk in. So there was this great divide between us for a very long time, because I would not submit. You know, I wouldn't just stay home and take care of her. And so. I began to lose weight, and um, I was really kind of ill, to be honest. And a friend of mine, a girl named Jeannie Howe, her last name is now Archer. She was my great friend at Moultrie High School for that one year, and uh, she had lost her mother and I'd lost my stepfather, so we had this bonding experience over that. Because you know, death is something teenagers don't really wrap their arms around very well. You can't get your brain wrapped around it, I should say, because it's so weird to a teenager you know, to think about these things, unless they've lost a sibling or something, which is just very unusual at that age to have to deal with that kind of traumatic loss on top of everything else. And so we became, she came to see me at the Baptist College, and she said, my Lord, you look terrible. And I said, yeah, I'm not feeling so great these days. I'm not eating very well. And she said, well, you need to get out of here. And I told her what was going on with my mother. My mother was calling the school and saying, you know, will you please come home. And I was, no, I'm not coming home. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to go to college. And um, so anyway, Jeannie was going to a fashion school in Atlanta, Georgia, and i had worked on King Street, you know, in little junior clothing stores, boutiques all through high school. And she said, why don't you come to school with me? And I said, Jeannie, you know, I don't know where the money's going to come for that. And she said, let me make a phone call. And she called this school, it's called the Fashion Institute of America. And the woman she spoke to was a woman named Dottie Fierst, who I think has long gone to her great reward. But anyway, Dottie Fierst heard my story from Jeannie, and she said, pack this girl up in a car and bring her to school, and we're going to take care of her. So I never paid any tuition or housing for two and a half years and came away with some little associate's degree from this crazy little school that I went on to make a big career out of in the garment business. Remember that? Yeah, because I worked in the garment business for a million years. And then later on, I when I moved to New York and was here for a while, I started, I, I really started out to be a painter. This is crazy. I can't believe I'm telling you all this. Anyway, I, was, I started taking classes at the Art Students League in New York, but my career then became very demanding. And so I had to drop out of that because I started going to Asia. So I was gone three or four months out of the year. So you couldn't really, you know, keep up with going to school at the same time. And then I got married, you know, I married Peter, somebody, uh, we were introduced on a blind date. And, um, you know, we've been married for 33 years, <laughs> go figure. So that's the story. And, and in between all of this, when Victoria, our daughter, was born, we then moved to New Jersey out of Manhattan because I couldn't figure out how to raise children in Manhattan because it was just too alien to me. So we bought a house in Montclair, and I've been here ever since. And so that's when I began doing volunteer work because, obviously, I couldn't work in the apparel industry anymore because you can't have a baby and be gone out of the country four or five months out of the year, right?
0: Let's talk about what you did in the garment district. because I remember you worked there, but I don't remember what you did.
1: Well, I started out working in a showroom, you know, selling wholesale to retailers. I represented a company that manufactured women's clothing. So the first company that I worked for, manufactured like a collection sportswear company. Mm-hmm. And then I went to work for a knitwear company and manufactured sweaters and I stayed there for eight or nine years until Peter and I got married and Victoria was born. We were this was back in the days of <laughs> Telexes. Remember telex machines? So we would draw the garment out, you know, the designers would draw the garment out and give them the specifications. We had an agent in Hong Kong and in Taiwan and in Korea. Um, this is like This was a long time ago, like 1980. You'd telex this thing over, and then they would let you know that they received it. And then you would tell them what yarn you wanted them to make the sample in. And then when all the samples were ready, we'd get on a plane and go over there and have a look at them. And then we'd decide, you know, what changes to make, what colors to make them, and how many pieces to put into work.
0: So you're flying into China, I mean to Hong Kong as a young woman. Yeah, I was
1: about 25 years old. You know, I thought I knew everything there was to know. Oh, God. (laughs) Long time ago. So I had a big time. And then with, with Victoria's arrival, I started doing community volunteer work, you know, and raising money for the arts and for education all around Montclair and with a couple of organizations in New York and then later on in South Carolina, as you know.
0: And then you decided to write your first book.
1: And then I took, I, I decided, my husband was on the board at Bloomfield College, which is a very small little regional college here in Bloomfield, New Jersey. And they asked me to run a benefit for them. And I said, okay, well, you know, I'll be glad to do that. But I think I'd like to take a class down there just to see what the culture of the school is like. Because, you know, putting together a big fundraiser for four or 500 people, that takes a whole year. You know, it's like planning a wedding. And uh, which, by the way, I'm also planning a wedding. Help me. And um, so well, it took we'll, this.
0: we'll talk about that in a minute. That'd be fun. Okay.
1: So I took this course in creative writing. And, and uh, then my mother got sick and died, like all in like a six week period, which was stunning to me you know I I was not prepared for my mother's death that's for sure
0: had y'all kind of made up at this time or were you st- oh
1: yeah oh yeah I mean this was years and years later I mean she was you know she was a sweet lady but she just I think she was just overwhelmed by life you know you know and she she did the, I mean like all parents or most parents anyway she did the best she could you know with what she was given you know to play with right I mean cards are dealt so anyway, she just um she was from just a very different generation. So, yeah, we were fine. We were fine. It was very anyway, it was very sad and I was taking this creative writing course and then Lynn and Billy and Teddy and Michael, my sweet family, my siblings decided it was time to sell mom's house and Peter Frank said he he declined to buy it for me. I thought, "Oh gosh." I'm going to kill him. I was never going to divorce him, but I definitely thought about killing him. Um, <laughs> not really, but you, you know what I mean. We had, a, we had a fight about the size of Texas. And um, I said, this is you know, this is how things conspire, you know, to change your life. It's almost like you have no choice. It's, you, you just walk out your door and suddenly there's a landslide, right? And um, I, it was around Christmas. My mother died in October, and this was around Christmas. I went to a local Walmart to grab some wrapping paper to, to mail out last minute packages, and I saw a table of books that were on sale. I now know that they're called remainders, but back in the day I didn't know what they were. <laughs> they were just books on sale. And I picked up one by a very popular, popular author who's been writing for, I don't know, 30, 40 years. She must have a bazillion books in print. And I said, You know what? What has she got? Because, of course, I'm thinking to myself, How am I going to go back to work and how am I going to find the money on my own to buy my mother's house? You know, because I didn't want to lose my sense of place in the world and, and my mother all at once it was just too much. So I was considering writing because I was taking this creative writing class from a guy named Paul Ganega who is a genius and um, you know I figured all I needed was one, I didn't need, I didn't need to go to college for 12 years to do this right. I'm just going to take one creative writing class at a local college and then I'm going to go out and write a book. and that's that's basically what happened. So I read this book and I said, "Shoot, I can do this. I can write a book like this in three months." And Peter said, "Well, let's see you try it." I said, "Ooh, them fighting words, baby." (laughs) So I sat down and wrote Sullivan's Island. I mean, this is really the truth, you know. I went to all the bookstores around town and and bought all the books on how to write a novel. You know, great first sentences, how to write the blockbuster. You know, everything.
0: It was a dark and stormy night and all of that stuff. Right? Exactly.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Oh, gosh. And my my first book that no one's ever seen, that no one will ever see, is called The Road to Valley Paradiso. It was terrible. (laughs) It's in a bottom drawer somewhere in this house.
0: But you did Sullivan's Island.
1: I wrote Sullivan's Island simultaneously.
0: And it caught everybody by surprise. Oh, I'll
1: say it did. Even me.
0: Because you sold how many copies?
1: Oh, gosh, I don't know, a million and a half, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. It's still in print. It's in its, like, 30th printing or something.
0: I remembered a million and a half plus, which for a first-time publication ain't bad. <laughs> <laughs> it
1: was, well, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, Harper Lee, okay? But it's um it's not bad. I was, I was beyond thrilled. And the next thing I knew, I had a contract for two more books and a new career. So that's how the whole thing happened. And,
0: and I mean, and, if that's
1: not the hand of God, I don't know what is.
0: And since that time, you have been producing at least a book a year. Isn't that right? Yes. Yes. One of two years, you produced two books.
1: Well, I published my first book in 2000, and it's 2015, and so I've published 16 books. So in one year there, I squeezed out The Christmas Pearl. Yeah, Christmas In addition pearl. to a yeah. regular full-length novel. So. I don't know how I'm going to keep doing it. You know, I, I hope Starbucks doesn't go out of business or Dunkin' Donuts because I need the coffee, right? It's going to have to be fueled by caffeine.
0: You're trying to sell your house. You've got a wedding planned, and you're well, writing another book.
1: Yeah, that's about it. That about sums it up.
0: Well, all I can say is good luck. Um I-
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: <laughs> oh my
1: goodness. Well, listen, you know something? She's my daughter. I want her to be happy. I think it's going to be a beautiful day. We've certainly done everything we can to, to you know, ensure that it will be.
0: Thank you so much, Dorothea Benton Frank, for being with us today on The Journal. The views and opinions expressed on Walter Edgar's journal are not necessarily those of South Carolina Public Radio.